favorite words. Marvelous. People ask her, how are you doing? And she says, I'm marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> Try and trump that. Come on. I'm blessed. Well, that doesn't trump marvelous. But, well, yeah. I, no, I, 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 don't know. I have to say I'm marvelously blessed. That's what I need you to could say. say. There yeah. we go. Yeah, okay. right. But I got, I, I got, I'm blessed from Rosalie. Anyhow, she's the one who taught me. I just have. I teach him all the good stuff. She does. She does. Oh. <laughs> she teaches me. She's always teaching me stuff. Uh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. gracious. We just want to welcome you to the program today. Uh, I took a right turn. Episode 8. Episode 8. Season 2. Season 2. Oh, Ooh. man. We're just clicking them off. Moving right along here. So we are going to um, discuss math and not Luke. 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 Well, there's so many. Things. Yeah, Matthew and Luke are, you know, they're, they're synoptic Gospels. They're uh-huh. very closely related. Uh-huh. Well, we've been led into Luke. Luke um, 6, starting at 43. And this is what they, from what they call the Sermon on the Plain. There's the Sermon on the oh. Mount, and then there's the Sermon on the Plain. The, on the ground. They're very much the same content, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're, they're believed to be two separate sermons that Christ gave at two separate times. Uh-huh. You know, but in this one, it, it's uh, starting in, in 43. It says, you don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree or nor good apples off a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. Now you start right here. You could think, well, what is this, a gardening guide or something? Yeah, you know, yeah, I love it. You know, but, but think about it. You know, Christ lived in a, a time when people were very dependent on food off the land. I mean, nowadays you ask people, well, where'd you where'd you get those tomatoes? Well, I got them at, at Fairway. <laughs> I mean, you know, I didn't got, I got it out of my garden or I got it off a plant or, you know. And there are some people, I think, who don't even know that food doesn't just come from a supermarket. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know what about growing or horticulture. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not agriculturalists. Mm-hmm. We're horticulturalists. Mm-hmm. And if anybody a- ever asks you the difference uh-huh. between horticulture and agriculture, uh-huh. agriculture is with a plow. Uh-huh. I was going to say it's with equipment. With a plow, yeah. If you don't, you, you know, because before they had plows, it was horticulture. Because you're, you're just hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> and before you're agging, you're hoarding. <laughs> Anyhow, so this goes, talks about the healthy apples and all this stuff. It says, the health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. I love that. It, it is I so true. Yeah. You know, not what you say and do. Well, we even have one song, you know, about uh, Jesus the Lord, where it says, you know, no matter what I say or do, Jesus can still love me. Mm, thank God. Yeah, amen. You know, because uh, I think we all end up saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing at some time or other. And before we knew Christ, we did that all the time. Yeah. You know, but even afterwards, we, we certainly, and I see you stub your toe and, you know, 
Oh, sugar! You know, I mean, sometimes we say the wrong things, or even when we're talking to people, mm -hmm. you know, how many times do we say something and then later go, oh, why did I say that? Or Not even if it's a swear word. No, I just might I not say the right thing and realize, not realize it at the moment, or realize it at the moment, but not able to correct it. Because what comes out the mouth, you can't just pick it up and stick it right back in. You can't. Once it's out, you know. It's, it's out. out. You know, that's like yeah, we watch these court dramas where the judge says, disregard what the, the they just said. And it's like, ah, how are they going to do that? You know, heard it. Okay, jury, disregard that. Regard what the attorney said and what the answer was. And I sit there going, uh-huh. Yeah, back your ears up and don't cut it out. You know, but this is telling us it's talking, you know, not about trees. It's talking about us. You know, but then it goes on and says, why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir. And that's right, sir. But never doing a thing I tell you. You know, one of the great rewards when we get to heaven is to hear the Lord say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You know, but one of the, the hardest things to ever hear while we're walking through this veil of tears trying to follow the Lord is for him to say, Why don't you learn what I'm telling you to do? Yeah, why should I tell you what to do when you don't do what I tell you what to do? And having heard that, yeah. know that that is a tough thing to hear. But he's talking about that right here. He says, why are you, you know, you're talking, oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You know, you hear people all the time, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then, you know, it's like one time I remember I was with a guy and I'm, he, he mentioned somebody's name. And that's just back when we were pastors. And I said, oh, they go to our church. And the guy says, he does? He says, yeah. He said, boy, I never would have guessed he was a Christian. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know. That's uh, sad. Secret yeah. agent Christians. Right. You know, it's like the old joke, you know, that this Christian's driving down the road, and all of a sudden he sees the, the lights come on behind him. Whoa, 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 whoa. And he pulls over. He, What's going on? The cop walks up. <clears throat> driver, the Christian driver says, what, what did I do? He says, well, I pulled you over uh, suspicion of auto theft. Suspicion of auto theft? What are you talking about? This is my car. He said, well, I was watching you, and I saw that guy cut you off, and you're leaning out the window screaming and yelling at him. Then I looked at the bumper, and it had a little Jesus fish on there. I figured you must have stole the car. <laughs> you know, but yes, we need to be careful what our te what our actions and our words, what kind of testimony is that for the Lord? Right, because people watch us, if, especially if if we profess to be a Christian. Yes. Believe me, non Christians are watching us just so they can say, "Hey, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian." Yeah, you know. Uh, but he goes on. He says, "You know, you never do the things that I I, I tell you." He says, "These words I speak to you are not mere addition." to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. I love the way the message says that. You know, we're, we use a Bible called the message, and uh, that's how it says it. It's not mere additions to our standard of living, you know, improvements. He says, they are foundation words, words to build a life on. You know, uh, I, know I know when I come to the Bible every day to read, I just... Ask the Lord, let your spirit in your word commune with my your spirit that's in me, and let your word just 
be the seed that brings forth your life in me. You know, I just want his word in me so much. And then he goes on, he says, if you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. And, you know, think about it. That's our life. You know, if, if we're founded on the rock, you know, I'm working on a song right now. It says, I'm standing on the rock that doesn't roll. You know, Jesus is the one who saved my soul, you know. And he's the one who makes me whole, you know. So I'm standing on the rock that doesn't roll. You know, and and thinking about that, if we, we found our life on God's word, when the, the storms of life, and they're going to hit every one of us. I mean, they hit us. They've hit us all. They will hit us more. And, and then he says, we'll stand. He says, but if, you're, if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who builds a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. Oh, that is, I've, well, I've been stuck in the sixth chapter of Luke for a month or more. I mean, I just can't get out of it. I just keep reading it over and over and over again. It's just, God has got messages for me in there. And Praise God. This is certainly one of them that, that I know I need to, to work harder to work his words into my life. I want to I wanna live God's word. I want my life to just be a reflection of him. You know, I've never been good at memorizing the Bible, you know, and being one of these guys who could remember the addresses and when I'm saying, well, that's, you know, Luke 77, 37 or whatever, you know. But I want to be where when I speak, it's God's words that come out. I don't have to put an address on it. I just speak it. It's God's word that's coming out. And I, I just, that's a goal of mine, you know. I don't want to, I don't worry about memorizing that. I, I want to live it. I want to breathe it. I remember when we were pastoring at that RV park in Arizona and you wrote a sermon. It was just a bunch of uh, scriptures tied together. And most of the people there said they'd never heard anything like that. Yeah. Because they couldn't identify. Now, I'm, not that you didn't stop and say what where it was and what chapter and where it was. It was just directly scripture. It was a beautiful sermon. Oh, it was. And every Every single word in it was just, it was just, yeah. and, and that's right, all those people, and I mean, they were just all mature people. Matter of fact, it was an RV park, they were all mostly older people, been in Christians all their life, had never heard that before. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go, that's a little teaching for today. And I am going to strive to live his words into my life. We encourage you to do the same thing. And it starts by reading the Bible, just, you know, even if it's just a verse a day, not memorizing it necessarily, but reading it. Right. And asking God, like Robert said, asking God to birth it in your heart. Amen. Amen. In your spirit. And now we're going to do one of our homegrown songs. Yippee. We're going to do, it's called, Keep Your Eye on, on the, the prize. prize. Hope you enjoy it.
Trojan War book, and I'm not real sure, I can't remember what chapter we're on. Chapter 8. Chapter 8, okay. And we want to remind y'all that you can get all of Dr. Owens's books on Amazon by going to... Well, to get this book, go to Amazon and just go in the search bar and put in America's Trojan War, Dr. Robert Owens. It'll bring it right up. And remember, this book is the first book in a five-book series about a dystopian story about a future civil war, civil war in modern America between 2016 and 2024. And uh, it's quite exciting. I think you'll enjoy it. Everybody who has ever read it has said they have. We've gotten nothing but good reviews from people that we've talked to. <laughs> and sold many, many thousands and thousands of this book. And so, hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Chapter 8, America Under Siege. As the sun rose, Washington, D.C. was a column of smoke on the horizon. Burning craters marked where the day before had stood the White House, Congress, the Supreme Court, the Vice Presidential Residence at the United States Naval Observatory, the Pentagon, Fort McNair, Andrews, and Boiling Air Force bases. All the Washington area bridges across the Potomac were down. Four major hospitals were turned into enemy bases filled with an armored brigade equipped with America's highest tech weapons, with thousands of hostages and enough ammunition and fuel to stand against all comers. In addition, at the points of origin of all four brigades stood captured police stations, 
with defensive positions blocks wide, as well as four captured and fortified airports. Just as the sun stretched its first pink fingers over the horizon, the large oil depots found in each location were blown up, taking out entire neighborhoods and igniting massive blazes that threatened to turn into firestorms. At the same time, as the first shells landed on the White House, pre-positioned assassination squads burst into the homes of cabinet secretaries, killing everyone they could find within. The purple-tinged red dawn was streaked with the pillars of smoke, marking something far beyond a terrorist attack. From the International Space Station, one astronaut commented later that it looked like a giant thumb had rubbed an oil smudge where Washington used to be. As bad as all this was, it was only the beginning. All of the details would never be known until long after the dust had settled and the bodies were counted. America had underestimated the Islamic State ever since President Obono had christened them the JV team. At every opportunity, the administration didn't seem to take them or the threat they posed seriously. Our lead from behind strategy, which some people derisively called following, built a coalition of the willing, made up of states who were willing to do nothing beyond join the coalition and ask for increased military aid and money to do so. Then they launched a massive air campaign that dropped most of its bombs in the empty desert because of the hands tied behind their back rules of engagement. And in a jaw-dropping display of either incompetence or collusion, they spread hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars to train less than a dozen so-called moderate Islamists. These moderate Islamists immediately turned all their weapons over to the Islamic State and pledged their allegiance to the caliph as soon as their training was complete. One ignored pundit remarked, the difference between a radical Islamist and a moderate Islamist is that while a radical Islamist wants to cut your head off, a moderate Islamist wants the radical Islamist to do it. The same intelligence services which had warned of the WMDs in Iraq told us with great authority that the Caliph commanded less than 20 or 30,000 volunteers, a ragtag force of amateurs. He actually had a fanatical army of more than 150,000 who were training every day using the latest American technology, including Abrams tanks, Bradley fighting vehicles, Apache helicopters, and self-propelled howitzers. And this did not include armies reigning and training in Libya, Nigeria, the Sinai, and Yemen. Strategic, strategic leaks from these same intelligence agencies to the mainstream media constantly told us our enemy was mired in the 12th century. Yet we could not keep up with their use of social media, their encrypted communications, or their ability to outthink us at every turn. A tone-deaf administration was attempting to conduct a symphony of responses, and the orchestra didn't know what to play. From day one, the Islamic State planners, many of whom had been trained in the West, plotted and planned to exploit America's open borders and suicidal immigration and refugee policies to bring the war home to the United States. Almost immediately, they began infiltrating warriors through the Mexican border and actively working in mosques across America to radicalize people 
especially the young and converts. Some of their warriors purposefully committed crimes, surrendered and pled guilty so they could recruit in the prisons. They made alliances with the drug cartel south of the border, providing them with money and training, eventually building a large training camp within 50 miles of the border, building impenetrable networks of operatives and sleeper cells all over the lower 48 states, all waiting for the mass influx of refugee infiltrators, their sympathizers and agents within the administration worked tirelessly to materialize. Yes, most of America was lulled to sleep by a complicit media and an administration determined to impose upon the old America they hated its anti-colonialist comeuppance on its way to a new, fundamentally transformed America. Stage one was as much a success as Pearl Harbor and 9-11. Its mind-numbing smoke, stench, and screams were just beginning to wake America up when stage two exploded with a vengeance. Terrorists all over the world began attacking American bases, embassies, and businesses. With truck bombs, suicide vests, and snipers, the entire American foreign apparatus was under attack. Everywhere, radio stations were seized. Soon, broadcasts in dozens of languages began declaring the beginning of the worldwide offensive against the American Empire. The followers of the Caliph urged any and all who hated the Yankees to rise up and throw off the oppressor. Hamas declared itself the Palestinian province of the Islamic State and launched attacks on Israel from Gaza and the West Bank. Thousands of infiltrators among the refugees in Jordan overwhelmed their guards and began marching on Amman, joined by tens of thousands of armed Palestinians from the generations-old refugee camps where they had been penned up since 1948. The Muslim Brotherhood rose up in Egypt, joined by the Sinai province of the Islamic State, and seized military bases as thousands of Libyan ISIS warriors poured across the border heading to Cairo. In Nigeria, Boko Haram lashed out in its typical brutality in dozens of towns and villages. In Yemen, Al-Qaeda and the Arabian Peninsula announced they were the Islamic State province of Arabia and sent thousands of warriors on the road to Mecca. Paris, Rome, Amsterdam, and London were ablaze. Sweden was racked by rioting and attacks on the police and the monarchy itself. Refugees in Germany spreading out like swarms of locusts from their loosely guarded camps spread death and destruction far and wide. Massive surges of people round up and forced from their homes in northern Mexico were herded across the open border as human shields for large and well-trained cartel formations. The whole world held its breath as World War III landed with both boots on the head of America and its allies with a shout of Allah Akbar. Thank you for that read, Robert. It's kind of like a tease, you know. That's what I think. Every time you do a chapter of the book, it's how can people stand it? How can men are running out and buying the book so they know what's next? So I encourage you. Run out and buy the book. Run out and buy the book. Buy ten of them. Give them away. Well, thank you for joining us this week. Yeah. Have a marvelous week. See you next time. Oh, no, we're not going to see you. You're going to hear us. <laughs> yeah.